I'm Stuart Chittenden and this is Lives, a show about conversation, community and the people that bring community to life. The theme of today's show is kindness and today is a special show as joining me as co-host is Alexis Most. Alexis graduated from the University of Nebraska at Omaha with a degree in psychology and studied clinical counseling at Bellevue University. Alexis is the co-founder of a group called Random Acts of Kindness. Today's guest is Ferial Pearson. Ferial was born and raised in Nairobi, Kenya. She is the oldest of four girls and the first in her immediate family to go to college. After graduating from Peponi School in 1997, she left Africa to attend Gustavus Adolphus College in St. Peter, Minnesota. Formerly a teacher, Ferial currently is an instructor at the University of Nebraska at Omaha in the Teacher Education Department and is working on her doctorate in Educational Leadership. In 2013, Ferial created the Secret Kindness Agents Project, which became the subject of a book, a TEDx talk, and is now the focus of her dissertation. This year, Ferial received the Kennedy Center's Stephen Sondheim Inspirational Teacher Award. She lives in Ralston, Nebraska, with her husband Daniel, son Elahi, and daughter Iman. Hello, everybody. Hi. Hello. So maybe to get a benchmark understanding, what is kindness? Kindness is unselfish acts that improve somebody else's life in some way. So that makes it sound really simple. Yeah, it is Um, simple. Which, okay, so it's really simple. Yeah. People don't recognize it. Um, One of the things I noticed with my students was they would do something and I'd say, oh my gosh, that was such a kind thing to do. And they would say, it was? Well, yeah, you know, smiling at somebody is an act of kindness and we don't normally name those things. Um, So I think it does. It does count as kindness. We just need to make it a habit of naming it and teaching it explicitly, especially to kids. Because they don't realize that they're already doing kind things and they start to, you know, bag on themselves and say, oh, I'm just a bad kid. I never do anything right. And I'm like, well, today alone, I watched you open the door for somebody. You smiled at me. You asked me how my day was uh, and you didn't laugh when I fell down. So you already were kind that many times and that that helps them. So I think that's interesting then to think about all those little ways that we're kind. How can we go about encouraging people to express kindness in their acts or attitudes? I think it depends on the person. Um, For my students, they got addicted to the way it felt to be kind. So it was an assignment at first, but then they got addicted to it because they realized, oh, I feel real good afterwards because I had them journal about it. You know, how did you feel before? How did you feel afterwards? Um, And they realized, oh, I I do have this kind of warm feeling and I feel better. Um, Because for a lot of them, they would do bad things because they didn't have control over stuff in their lives. And so they would bully somebody and that would give them a sense of power and control. But then they'd feel bad about themselves afterwards. Um, And so they noticed, okay, if if I'm kind to somebody, I still have that sense of power and control, except it's positive and that bad feeling doesn't come. So getting people to notice how good it feels to do it. Um... And also to understand that it's not just improving their lives, it's improving somebody else's life. Uh, But it really depends on the person, I think. What are some of the ways that you go about in your own life cultivating an attitude of kindness and perhaps um, taking an attitude, a mindset into actual behaviors of kindness? I think modeling it, consciously modeling it for young people, um, naming it when I see it in other people, um, 
always thinking when I'm at a crossroads, what would be the kind thing to do in this situation? Because there are times I'm tempted to not be kind in a situation. And so I just have to stop and think. It's kind of that trick we teach young kids. Okay, stop and think before you make a bad decision. But I think that's true for grownups too. We have to stop and think. Alexis is nodding and smiling over there. <laughs> so sometimes it makes me wonder, sometimes it is so much easier. No, no, maybe not easier. So tempting just to do a small act of unkindness mm-hmm. as retribution or someone's in your way or someone's cut you off. That's hard not to give into that temptation. It is hard. And I think people confuse kindness for being a pushover and having people just st- step all over you. And I don't think that's necessarily true um, because there have been times where I've stood up for myself or I've stood up for somebody else and someone's like, well, I thought you were all about kindness. Well, yeah, kindness doesn't mean that I get to let um, transgressions go by or let somebody be trampled upon or let myself be trampled upon. Um, so kindness is not supposed to be weakness. Um, it's not supposed to be letting things go by. Kindness sometimes means being firm about something that somebody's done. So letting people know that they've offended you or somebody else in a gentle, respectful way, um, at first, (laughs) if that doesn't work, you may need to be a little more aggressive, but, um, yeah, I just don't think it's, it is tempting to take, to take it in a spiteful way and, and get back at them in a spiteful way. But there's a way to speak truth um, that is not unkind, I think. That makes sense. What are some of the things that get in the way of being kind? Mindset, I guess. I think there are days we just have a bad, bad day. and <laughs> It's all the energy we have just to survive. Um, and I've seen that with young people. I've seen that with friends and family where you're just... It's all I can do to just get up and go. And if you ask me to smile at you, I'm going to rip your face off, you know. Um, So I think that's what gets in the way is just how much emotional energy you have at any given time. And everybody gets tired. I mean, we're all, we all have those days where I just can't take any more. And so I'm just going to not do anything at all. you said about mindset. And I think that your journey four years ago started from a place of fear. And I think that that negative, like a negative, fearful, scared, um, hopeless mindset can kind of take over. You've talked about like feeding the good wolf or the bad wolf. And so how has random acts of kindness affected your mindset? How much of an effect has just doing random acts of kindness and getting other people to do that changed your mindset? I think, and I've been in places where I I was not the glass half full person. Um, It's rare, but it's happened. Um, But I think fear and hopelessness come from this idea that you don't have a choice in a situation, that you feel trapped in a situation. And so just reminding myself through this project and through doing acts of kindness that I do have a choice at any given moment. I have a choice. I have a choice right now to get up and walk out of this room if I wanted to, but kindness gives us that choice that, okay, I can perpetuate this negative feeling that I'm having right now, whether it's fear or helplessness or anger or jealousy or whatever it is, or 
I can pick something that will automatically make me feel better. Um, and to know that I have that choice has helped my mindset big time. So let me take the different tack. Kindness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But there's a real world out there and only winners are going to cut it. <laughs> we, we need some practical lessons here, okay? Right. Um, kindness. Yeah, it makes me feel positive and great and so on and so forth. However, the point is what are perhaps some of the more clinically proven or scientifically demonstrated benefits that can accrue to us from kindness that actually just go beyond a, a statement as ephemeral as I feel good or it's positive? Yeah, so I'm just starting to dig into this for my dissertation. Um, and what I'm finding um, studies on is that it helps with physical well-being, um, for one thing, it really helps your body feel better. It helps your dendrites fire, um, all of that kind of stuff. Dendrites in the brain. Yes, in the membrane. Um, so it just helps you physically feel better. Um, it also helps you feel more confident, which helps you take more risks and learn more things. Um, so it makes you smarter. Um, and then just socially, you know, people will ask like I'm a public school teacher and so people, well, why should I support public schools when I don't have kids or my kids don't go to public school or, you know, those kinds of things? Well, don't you want to live in a society where the people around you are well-educated and nice people? Um, don't you want your nieces and nephews to be around people who are good people? Um, not that there's such a thing as a good person or a bad person, but just people who are, you know, feeding their good wolf, as Alexa said. Um, so there's, there's social things, there's medical things, there's emotional well-being. Um, it's really good therapy <laughs> to be kind to people. Um, therapists really um, think that it's a good thing. In schools, when we teach kids to be kind, they do better academically as well. Um, they get along better with their peers and therefore are able to work better with peers, especially in group work and in teams and things like that. So tons and tons and tons of benefits to kindness and teaching kindness. I constantly feel like I'm trying to tap into my inner child that was excited and full of life and hopeful and just not jaded, but doing random acts of kindness and trying to do them with other adults, you get a lot of negativity. Yeah. And so how have you found ways to combat that other than just like living it? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I talk about kindness to a lot of different groups. Um, and some of those groups are adult groups. And it's really interesting because I have a... a an assignment I give them at the end of my talks. And that is that I have them turn to an adult next to them. And they have to look them in the right eye because I'm legally blind in my left eye. So I always say right eye. Look them in the right eye and give them an authentic compliment that has nothing to do with the way they look. So even though your blouse is very becoming, you're not allowed to say that, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to tell them something that you enjoy about them. And the first thing that happens is everybody starts to giggle. It doesn't matter who's in the room. They're always, <laughs> they just start to laugh. <laughs> then they give these compliments and then people are laughing, they're crying. And I give them only one minute per person to do this. And then we come back and I tell them, I noticed that the first thing you did was giggle and laugh. The second thing I notice is that now you're all smiling, but I want you to notice how your body feels right now. And I ask them to describe what their body feels like. And they'll say things like, I feel really warm and fuzzy. You know, my heart is racing a little bit. I feel flushed. I feel excited. I feel hopeful. Kind of that kid feeling that mm -hmm. you're talking about. That's the feeling. And I tell them, I want you to remember what this feels like. And the next time you're having a crappy day, do that. Give somebody a compliment. Smile at somebody. Hold a door open and just remember how that feels. And it'll come right back. And I found that that really gets people 
to do it. The other thing is peer pressure, for sure. You know, when I <laughs> when I did the project with my juniors in high school, I mean, juniors in high school are just like, really, uh-huh. really? Um, and Agent Cheesy, the first one, the first thing she said was, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. This is dumb and I'm not going to do it. You know, and then mm-hmm. she saw everybody else doing it and she did it. Um, but the feedback that she got from the person who received her act of kindness flipped her around completely and she became creepily, creepily obsessed with the project <laughs> um, and still is. I mean, she still sends me Facebook messages. It's been, what, five years now? Um, she sends me Facebook messages about, oh my gosh, remember when we did this? Oh my gosh, this project. Um, she writes up little things for me. She dropped a care package at my door one day and rang the bell and ran away. Um to say thank you for the project. So getting people to notice how good it feels when they're adults, Mm -hmm. just through a simple, quick, I mean, it takes two minutes to do that little, you know, authentic compliment thing, um, gets them hooked because then they know how it feels. People um, often come to me, I like to volunteer. I like to do nice things. Yes. But it's selfish. Like it feels, fills my soul. And I, I want to, other people to realize like this isn't necessarily about you. <laughs> yeah. Like I like making you feel good, but it makes me feel just as good yeah. to do those things. And then just like bleeds into the rest of my life. I think that reminds me of a friend's episode where they were arguing about whether there really is such a thing as this truly unselfish act. Right. Mm-hmm. And maybe there isn't, maybe there just yeah. isn't. It just feels good to be kind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. some of the practical personal practices that we can we can explore and um, you know entwine in our lives so that we really get used to creating this muscle of kindness I think the first thing we have to do is make it a habit to be present in the moment with people um, that's something that I've noticed in my life I get really frustrated when I'm having a conversation with somebody and they are obviously not present or they obviously don't want to be there. And so they're always, you know, looking past my shoulder or they're looking at their phone or they're looking at the door or something. So be present, you know, give people your full body, mind attention. Um, I think that's one of the kindest things we can do for people. Um, and then when, when they're speaking, listen with the intent to understand and not the intent to respond. Because a lot of times people will say something to you and the whole time you have this reel going in your head about what you're going to say back. You don't have to do that. Um, the kind thing to do is, okay, here's what I understand about what you just said. Um, and, I, and I think that's an act of kindness. Um, another thing I do is I smile at people a lot. And I think people think I'm creepy once in a while, but it just, it means a lot to me, you know, to smile to people because there are people who... Um, have stopped me and have said, you know, I've been on this campus for four years and nobody's ever smiled at me on the sidewalk. Um, There was an African-American gentleman who I smiled at him, made eye contact and smiled. And he said, young lady, stop there right where you are. And I was like, whoa, what did I do? Is there something on my dress? What's going on? He said, you're the first woman who smiled at me in this campus. Usually people cross to the other side of the street. Why did you smile at me? I was like, because you're a nice person. I don't know. I just smiled at you because everyone deserves to be smiled at. And so that reminded me and reinforced in me this idea that I really do need to smile at people, 
even if I don't know them. Um, a smile makes everybody's day better, and it makes my day better. Um, in fact, there's research. Um, we found a study when we did the Secret Kindness Agents Project where they were telling two sets of people the same jokes, and one set of people had a pencil in their teeth forcing their face into a, a smile position, and then the other set of people had to hold the, the pencil above their upper lip and between their lip and their nose, so they're forced to frown. And the smiley face people found the jokes hilarious, and the people who were frowning did not. So physically smiling, even when you don't feel like it, actually does help you feel better. It makes your, your emotions get better. If a listener was thinking, okay, but what's the first thing I can do? Would you offer something like keep a gratitude journal or something like that. You know, I think the best thing about kindness is you don't need extra tools. Um, you don't need anything at all to be kind. Um, and that's one of the things I learned from my students because they didn't have anything. They had no money. <laughs> they had no resources. But they were able to move mountains just with their own humanity. So if journaling is something that works for you, then do it. But if it's going to be something that becomes a chore, then that doesn't work. to hear a little more about your upbringing. Oh, snap, my upbringing. Um, so I was raised in Nairobi, Kenya, and I was the oldest of four girls. I am the oldest of four girls. Um, and my family is kind of from various different places in the world. Um, we're, we're an international family. And since all the kids have married and, and done all that, um, I think I counted 21 languages that we all speak all together from most of all of the continents. Um, so we've always been a very open family to other cultures and traditions. I remember my best friend was, her dad was Roman Catholic, her mom's Lutheran. And so I would go to mass, you know, with her every other Sunday and I'd go to the Lutheran church every other Sunday and I would go to the mosque with my grandmother on Friday nights and I would go to the Hindu temple with my aunt. And I never, it never occurred to me that these were different religions until I was old enough to kind of understand that. I'm still mad that I was not allowed to take communion, even though I did all the things that I was supposed to do. <laughs> I was a good little Catholic girl, even though I'm Muslim. Um, but so I grew up in, you know, a multi-faith family and I grew up in a multiracial family and, um, we went through our own um, dysfunctional things, um, which taught me what not to do in life. Um, I, I spent a lot of my life feeling like an outsider. Um, and so inclusion is huge to me, and inclusion obviously is part of kindness. Um, exclusion is bullying. Um, people think of bullying as like this physical act, you know, you push something. But no, just simply excluding someone from a conversation or from a physical space or from a birthday party or whatever, that's bullying. And so I felt very keenly those feelings of exclusion. And so I, I think that's influenced my, my way of being inclusive these days, um, or I guess my whole life. Um, my biggest influencers were my grandparents, my dad's parents. Uh, my grandma's still alive today. Um, they taught me that we should always give as much as we can. 
Um, I witnessed, you know, people coming to their house and nobody would ever leave without something, um, whether it was food or a trinket or a box of chocolates or whatever. It was always you, you can't leave without taking something with you. And I do that now at home. And it was so fun because my daughter had her two friends over to practice for their battle of books competition. And um, the girls were about to leave. And my daughter said, you know, my mom has this tradition that you have to take a piece of fruit with you. And so they went up and had to get a piece of fruit. Um, but I carry that with me, um, from my grandparents. And, um, I know that there were things that my grandfather did when he passed away. People showed up to his funeral that we had never met before. Your grandfather paid for my education. Your grandfather, uh, made sure I was fed every day, at least once a day, those kinds of things that we didn't, we didn't know he was doing. Um, people were calling from all over the world to give us condolences. And when we went to give away his possessions, he barely had anything. And I'm like, where? where are all the things that I brought you as presents? And my grandmother would say he, he found somebody who needed them more. Um, and so that's kind of the way that, that I live and try to teach my, my kids to live. I don't know what else to say about my upbringing. I had a British education. <laughs> I went to British boarding schools in Kenya. Uh, my teachers were from Europe. Most of them were from England um, and from other places in Europe. I loved Brit Lit. I was one of those weirdos who just... I love Shakespeare and, and Jane Austen and Chaucer and Beowulf and all that stuff that nobody else likes. Um, so listening to you talk, which has been so interesting, I really picked up on a pattern. So yeah. people are kind, that fills them up, but they are connecting. Like yeah. that's what everything's about. Like we need to stop and connect with each other. And again, it's selfish. Like it's going to feed both of us. And what's the point if we're not connecting? Yeah. I really don't know. And then... Um, you talked about all these different religions that you were exposed to. And then you also talked about the horrific things that you've lived or seen throughout your life. So I, I think that like combination to me makes sense why someone would be so passionate about kindness. Mm -hmm. Do you agree? And why, I feel like some people understand the need to connect, but most people don't, or they're too busy. Most adults, no, most people, they don't seem to catch it or understand or see the value in it. Yeah. I think the people who don't see the value in it until it's pointed out are people who take for granted the connectedness that they already have. Mm -hmm. So if you are living a life that is privileged with a lot of connection that was just given to you, it's easy to just not see. I mean, that's the definition of privilege is something that you take for granted. You don't realize it, right? You can't ask a fish what it feels like to be wet. Um, And so you can't ask somebody who's super connected, what does it feel like to be connected? Because they've always been connected. Um, But when you point out that, okay, there are people in this world who don't have connections to other human beings, um, who don't have it very often, who don't feel a sense of belonging anywhere, um, that kind of turns a switch, I think. And part of what comes with that privilege is there's this very strong feeling in American culture that I've seen in Western culture in particular, of us versus them. This whole idea of competition. I think it's Rumi who said, you know, I was asked, what do we do for the others? And he says, there are no others, right? I probably butchered that, but that's kind of the sentiment that really true kindness happens when we think of the people around us as part of us. I sometimes worry that people that exude a lot of kindness and give a lot of themselves to the world around them are sometimes inattentive to their own self-care and well-being. And I just wonder if you have a thought about that. 
I think that's very true. Um, people who are giving and, and empathetic um, and who feel other people's emotions do tend to put themselves on the back burner. And that's something I've struggled with myself. Um, but something that my grandmother has been teaching me um, is that you really can't be your best for people if your bucket isn't full. Like you can't dip from an empty bucket. Um, and so that's something we have to remember. In fact, sometimes the assignments that I post on Facebook are your assignment this week is to be kind to yourself and here are some ways. I think that I read somewhere that 99% of what we're scared of never happens. Yeah. yeah. So how much time are we wasting here being scared of something that's never, ever going to happen? Exactly. It can be crippling or it can be an incentive. And for so long, I let fear be crippling and <laughs> stop me from doing a lot of things that I wish I had done. Um, right. And life is not a dress rehearsal. It's the real thing, right? You don't, you don't get a second chance. And so um, you have to face fear head on and just think, okay, no matter what, you know, like I said before, no matter what, I have a choice in this situation. Whatever is scaring me, I have a choice in how I deal with it. And I can pick a positive way or I can pick a negative way. Um, and hiding from it is definitely a negative way because nothing productive happens out of that. Um, and so we really have to think, again, stop and think, what's the most productive, helpful thing that I can do in this moment? I'm in a dancing mood. I'm in a dancing mood. secret kindness agents project you know the what how and why all right so the secret kindness agents project was really created by high schoolers it was not created by me it really it really was not it was um it came out of the sandy hook shooting though um i was connected to somebody whose daughter was murdered at sandy hook um and my daughter was the same age as the kindergartners who were murdered at Sandy Hook, and I knew students who were like the shooter. And so it really hit home, and I was scared. I was really, really scared. I'd never been afraid for my kids before, and that was the first time I needed to reach for something to give me the, <laughs> the audacity, I guess, to go back to work. Um, and I was talking to my kids about it, um, um, and my daughter kind of was listening, and she said, well, what if people have been kind to the shooter? his whole life, maybe he wouldn't have done that. So that's what I latched upon. <laughs> I thought, okay, I can't change what happened in Sandy Hook. I can't change what's happening in South Sudan. I can't change all of those things. But what if I can prevent an act of violence where I am, where I, you know, the school district that I'm working in. And so I thought, well, we'll just do these random acts of kindness and we'll make a, the school a kinder, better place. And if we have another Adam Lanza in our school, maybe he won't feel the need to pick up that gun and, and do what he did. So I went to my students and I said, here's my idea. We're going to do random acts of kindness if you want, and I'll give you a prize. And they said, uh-uh, no, that's not good enough. Your idea has potential, they said, <laughs> um, but it's not good enough. It's going to be all of us or none of us, because that was kind of my motto as a teacher. You know, if, if I assign something, I did it myself. They said, it, can, it can't be just if you want to. And it's not true kindness, they said, if we expect a reward. And plus, they said, it's probably going to be something lame like a stick of gum, which I don't think is a lame prize, but they did. So there was that. <laughs> They're like, you teachers don't make any money when you give us a stick of gum. Um, and so 
that's how the project was born. It was going to be all of us. Um, and because we didn't want thank yous or recognition, we had to be secret agents of kindness. So we had to have secret kindness agents names. Um, and the initials were SKA cause I like ska music and it was just easier to remember. Um, so that happened. Um, so we had a naming day. Everybody had their secret kindness agent name. Mine is mama beast. So I, it's not very secret anymore, but it was at the time. Um, cause they said I was beastie and good at my job. Um, and they call me mom all the time. So I was mama beast. Um, and then I just asked them come up with acts of kindness that don't cost any money and that we could do within the school grounds. And they did. And so we had 21 envelopes cause there were 20 students, one of me, everybody picked an envelope every week that they were supposed to do. And then we would journal real quick, had a whole ceremony, really super cheesy ceremony where I'd play some song about kindness. They didn't like my old school stuff. So they, you know, Bruno Mars made an appearance and stuff. Um, but I would play the song. They would come up real solemnly and seriously pick an envelope, write it down, and then they would recite their oath and their set of risks they were taking. And then they would go do their acts of kindness and write about it at the end of the week. It took about eight minutes a week. Um, but then they started bringing in, for our nonfiction text, they would bring in news stories about kindness. They would bring YouTube videos for our brain breaks. Um, and we really took a good look at ourselves and how we're all capable of good and we're all capable of evil. So... They, they did their envelope assignments. They started doing things outside their envelope assignments. They developed signature moves that they were doing. Um, my own kids developed their signature moves. My son's is still holding doors for people. We get late all the time because he's standing there. 50 people are walking in the in the building and he's still standing. I'm like, come on, kid, we got to go. He's like, there's still people coming. My daughter's is hugs. We had to talk about consent quite a bit. Um, you can't just launch yourself with people who look sad for it. You just, nope, you got to ask them first. Um, so that's her signature move. Um, but they all had their things that they did, lawn mowing, you know, um, or simply smiling at people and your face hurts from smiling too much. Um, we wrote a lot of notes, um, cards, things like that. Um, Cassie gave $25 to nine different people that she gathered um, through a ripple effect of kindness. Um, and then somebody snitched on us to the news. And so there was a news article about us. Um, the news came a day that I was gone. Um, the Ralston Recorder, and they did a story about us, and then the gig was up. Everybody knew who we were. Um, and then the book happened because Cindy Grady, who published a book that I wrote with my students at South, said, hey, write this as a how-to, and we'll publish it at no cost to you. I said, no, thank you very much, Cindy. That sounds like a lot of work. She said, don't you think you should ask your agents? And I went and asked my agents. Of course, they said, well, if you're going to do most of the work, of course, we want to write the book. So... I wrote the book. <laughs> it was published a year after I left them. Um, and there are pieces in there from um, Sarah Edwards, whose best friend Jennifer lost her daughter, um, Aviel and Sandy Hook. Um, there's a chapter by Dan Boster, who taught my students a year after I did. Um, and he kind of talks about what he saw in them as well. Um, there are little little bits by the students, each of the students. Um, I didn't give them any you know, writing limits. I just said, just write what's in your heart. Some did a paragraph, some did three pages. So... Um, didn't censor them at all. It was all their stuff. And so, yeah, that's, that's a story of what it's, what it's been and what it's become. We'll be posting links to some of the resources and Facebook pages that you've mentioned on our Facebook page, which is at facebook.com slash lives radio show. My co-host today has been Alexis Most, and our special guest has been Ferial Pearson. Thank you both so much for being here. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for giving to us. That was great. And that was fun. Good.
You're listening to Lives. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back to Lives. I'm Stuart Chittenden and this is Dialogue, that part of the show when I am joined by guests to talk broadly about the show's theme, which this week is kindness. With me in Dialogue are Barbara Weitz and Wendy Townley. Barbara Weitz is a visionary woman with a diverse background. She has worked as a speechwriter in Minnesota, a director of Christian education for a local Presbyterian congregation, and a social work professor at the University of Nebraska. She received a BA in political science from Carleton College an MPA from New York University, and an MSW from the University of Nebraska. Whether through her family's philanthropic foundation or personally, Barbara has served community in ways big and small. She's also particularly fond, and uh, kindness will be recognized by her three children, Roger, Katie, and Drew, and not least her husband, Wally. Wendy Townley serves as Executive Director of the Omaha Public Library Foundation. Since 1985, the Library Foundation has raised dollars for Omaha Public Library programs and services. Townley is a native of Omaha and holds bachelor's and master's degrees from UNO. She is a member of the Optimist Club of Omaha, part of Optimist International, a worldwide volunteer organization made up of more than 2,500 local clubs whose members work each day to make the future brighter. She is also the author of a book of memoir essays, Nerdy 30. Welcome to you both. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you, Stuart. I stumbled across this quote from Johann Goethe, and he says, kindness is the golden chain by which society is bound together. I would suggest that we're in turbulent times, and kindness seems to be, dare I even say, lacking. So I, I wonder if you just have a perspective on, on the need for kindness in society. It's super important. Um, I was raised by wonderful parents who always told us, my sister and I, just to be kind to one another. Uh, they, they obviously imparted other important lessons on us, but of everything, kindness is something they just felt very passionate, very strongly about. I think that they often demonstrated kindness to those in our family, even those maybe some who drive us crazy a little at times, um, and friends, members of, of our church. So for me, it's always been a part of my life growing up. Um, I think now more than ever, it's important to be kind. And I catch myself even subconsciously without even knowing that I'm doing it, 
trying to be kind to people as I encounter them at the grocery store, if um, at my favorite local coffee shop, if I'm at the post office. I think I, I'm a very empathetic person and I can pick up on tension in a room. And so it's my approach to try to help others um, feel better. And so I feel that if I can emulate kindness in my day-to-day life and in our work, um, I sleep much better at night. I think um, kindness has been sort of pushed underground by all the social media and the opportunity for people to say things to each other, very unkind things, um, from a distance with anonymity. And I think kindness is about face-to-face. It's about seeing the humanness in each other. The choice of words people are using at the highest levels of our culture are not kind. And I find vocabulary is critical when we're talking to one another. And the choice of one word over another can make a whole world of difference in terms of perception of kindness. That is fascinating that you mentioned technology. We we can't turn back this clock of technology. So given that the world has technological platforms for communication, how are we going to put kindness back into that part of our lived experience? We have to call one another on it, identify it as something that you would not say to me face to face. I I think somehow I see it in my children. They're so engaged with their electronic things that um, they're almost reluctant to be face to face with people. They're, it's easier for them to tweet each other or write one another. And I think as that as they grow less comfortable with just being together, it gets even harder to be um, sort of aware of that connection between them. That's so critical for kindness and for civility and all those things that we've always said we prized in this country. So I say we have to call each other on it. We have to call ourselves on it and um, and pay attention. And I think I can speak just kind of for my own personal social media habits. I find that if I see unkind dialogue happening online, I am more inclined to... Um, if I if I decide to speak up, it it's brief, but then I completely remove myself from the conversation. I I just cannot tolerate that anymore, and I think I was um, immune to it when social media when I started using it several years ago. And I'm largely on Facebook and Twitter, and that's typically where you see that that bile and that hatred bubble up and, and I just can't engage after a certain point. And I certainly just, I I just stay off it completely, which is unfortunate because there's a lot of good that comes from social media. I would imagine social media could be used to promote this very show. So someone like me may miss out on the important posts because I'm standing outside the perimeter, not wanting to get splattered with all of the, the negativity that's happening. So it's challenging. Social media is definitely um, comes with blessings and curses for what it's worth, but it really goes back to the choices that people make when they sit down in front of the computer or with, with their device. I really appreciate this idea that kindness is something we do face-to-face, and I want to explore that a little bit more. But before I do so, thinking just a little further about technology, we 
we cannot be immune from it and in, and indeed as in it surrounds us but then it has effects upon us that we aren't aware of and i am sitting here wondering have i been slightly less pleasant to someone on social media without even realizing that i wasn't being my best self so i wonder if there are personal practices that we should be thinking about in terms of being uh, a little more hygienic and kind uh, and attentive to our own practices on on social media or any technology in, in, in any form. If enough people begin to do that, it's that tipping point that that kicks in where, oh, it's not so acceptable. It's like mothers and drunk drivers. They really helped sort of decrease the number of drunk drivers out there because it became less funny to be drunk and driving. I mean, they re so I think, you know, if you can get enough people to pay attention and talk about it and address it themselves, then I think it catches on. I think there's a, there is a natural, um, occurrence in human beings to be kind, but other things get in the way that changes the decisions that they make. And so, one thing to also think about that, I don't know that this fully addresses your question, but what is it about this person that I'm interacting with in the moment? Or what is it about this post that I, that I happen to glance upon? What happened in their day in their life that is causing them to behave this way? And so that will, that for me can change my perception as to how I interpret what they're saying, but then also my reaction as well. It's not easy. Let me tell you, it is, it is not easy. But I think your question about if you've, you know, personally been unkind to someone on social media, I think the same can easily be said, was I unkind to the person at the gas station today when I was checking out? It's just, it, it's a lot what Barb said. It's an awareness and, and a, a mind shift. What I've seen generally, and now I'm 68, so I've seen way too much generally, but the unkindest things I think are often said to gain something for the person that said them and either to feel better about themselves or bigger than the other person or smarter or whatever. And I think um, the idea that kindness does require us to give something to give something to each other. And that comes at a cost, sometimes a very minor very minor cost, but sometimes it's a bigger cost. And I think we've lost some sense of that. And it's been curious to me to watch um, philanthropy changing over time. And I've attended several meetings where they talk about how do we get people to give more money? Because this is a great cause and we all care about it. And they'll say, well, we need some really human stories. And what they're talking about is evoking a kindness effect in the people they're telling the stories to. And I think um, that that's another thing that can catch on is the ways that we tell our stories um, and the ways we tell other people's stories that make them more human, more um, identifiable as like us instead of not like us. Um, I don't think most of us wake up in the morning and say, I really want to be mean to as many people as I can today. It doesn't happen. But kindness is also a choice. And I think once you start looking at your own life in the little ways that you can be kind, you'll be amazed at the, at the joy that you can bring to people's lives.
Catherine, you mentioned earlier, maybe there's a small cost that comes with being kind, acting with kindness. So my question then is, why do we act kindly towards other people? Well, there are some places where it's easier than others. I mean, obviously, if something terrible has happened, we all rush in to help. Um, I think it's not as easy when it's a situation where you disagree with people and treating them with kindness is a lot more difficult and takes more self-control and more thoughtfulness. But I think it's critical to who we are as a country and a community that we care enough about one another to make tough decisions and say tough things to one another and stay connected. And I think if you're constantly unkind, there's no connection. And when we need to do something difficult, there's nothing to work from there. So that's why I think we have to be developing a better sense of kindness with one another. For people who are maybe unsure of the idea or, or to that point about thinking about the cost associated with, you just have to try it and see the reaction that you get from someone. For me, it makes me feel better about my day if if I'm kind to someone and they're kind back to me, even if it's just someone holding op- open the door for me um, at the library because my hands are full of something. It For me, if I'm able to then repay that later in my day, I just feel better. I am I think that once you try it, it's like the doctor says, once you start eating better and exercising, you're going to feel a lot better. Just trust me on that. And I think the same can be said for kindness, for sure. Small acts of kindness can amount to personal, individual happiness, mo- moments of happiness. Maybe the reverse is true. One might look at the world now and just think it's an absence of kindness. And so it also has corrosive effects if if we have an environment of unkindness. You know, when I was teaching social work and I had undergrad students and we would do projects in the community, early in my teaching career, um, they the students loved it. They couldn't wait to do it. They were excited about it and um, wanted to do something. They're social work students and some people might say they're naive and liberal-minded, but but they cared, and they cared about the community, and they wanted to do something. The last few years I taught, a phrase I never thought I'd hear in a social work class came up. I was explaining the projects, and a student raised her hand in this case and said, what's in this for me? And I'm afraid that creeps in a, a great deal. Yeah, I'll be I'll be nice to you if there's something in it for me. And I, I'm afraid that's a piece that's frightening to me, that that we have to get something for everything we do. And I don't know if that's generational. I don't know if that was just a rare group of three years of social work students. I haven't done a study. But, um, but it was amazing to me when that started to come up in class. We were talking earlier that Empathy is is hardwired. It is genetically coded into us as a species. And so it makes me wonder what is causing those conditions to disappear and, and be dismantled. Part of me, and I think goes back to what other people have experienced in their lives, and, and I think that leads to it. I'm, I think it's charming that you mentioned my membership in The Optimist because I'm card-carrying member, total optimist, and really feel that everybody does have the potential to, to be kind, but it takes work. 
um, it takes a personal investment. And and you're right about different levels of empathy. Some have some of us have more than others. And um, so for someone who's very empathetic, it, it's easier to be kind than in other instances. But I don't I don't think it's accurate to say that there are people who are incapable of it. I think it's just it's buried so so far down deep. I go to my little optimist meeting every Wednesday and as silly as it sounds, I feel much better about life and the day and tackling what I need to after just an hour with some very kind people. You have both lived in the world of philanthropy for quite a while. How have you seen kindness and the role of kindness in in that domain of altruism? For many people, it's it's organizations, philanthropic organizations coming to us and saying, what is it that you need? Um, that always feels very good. And and even though in, in most cases we're talking about cash donations, there is a kindness attached to that um, and, and a great gratitude on our behalf for sure. Um, so it's coming from a place of identifying um, this person may be interested in this cause or that cause and um I'm going to reach out to them because I have this um, extra donation that we want to make in, in a particular year and we want to find out what the organization needs. So having that, di- and, and that goes back to face-to-face dialogue and relationships and, and, and it's very critical. I think the intersection of um, opportunity and desire to help there is something about a group of people together. There's a synergy that develops and um, a caring that that grows, even if it's one person at first. I think it's contagious. And I think when people see each other being kind, they kind of go, oh, <laughs> I could do that. But I also think people that get to give away things should say thank you, too, because being able to give something of great need and see all the difference it makes is a very powerful feedback curve to the people that give it. And I really believe that we get, and others, all the people in this community that are so generous, get that kind of feedback that's like, yes, I, I was able to make a difference. And that's a that's a very ego-feeding, wonderful, I'm not saying that's a bad thing at all. I'm saying it's a good thing. But it is true that it takes someone being willing to accept what I give to make it a gift. Mm -hmm. And I thank them for doing that. That's so interesting to think about uh, kindness being demonstrated philanthropically through, uh, not just financially, but through uh, volunteering or other ways. It's an attitude. It's a a way of being in the world. And I think um, if it were just about money, that would be kind of sad. (laughs) Because I think everybody has elements of kindness that they can um, use. And if we if we put a monetary value on all of them, it goes away. And um, I just I just really love it when people do things like um, start a little library by their driveway. You know, that that's not writing a check. It's not giving money to the library, but it's saying, oh, kids in our neighborhood. Look, there are books here you can take in um, things like that really creative, wonderful ideas that that involve being in the community, interacting with your community are also such wonderful ways to express kindness. I also really enjoyed the point you made about needing recipients of kind acts, which makes me want to ask, we've talked a little bit about the difficulty perhaps of being kind, but what about 
any difficulty associated with receiving kindness? I think if it's not asked for, sometimes it can come as a bit of a, almost an insult. It, how you deliver kindness mm-hmm. and your gift makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. And some people, I think, sometimes think you're showing off or um, that you're, it's your ego and you don't really care. And the gift is more about you than it is about the person or organization or institution you're giving it to, which is terribly unfortunate on both sides. I can say from a fundraising perspective, we always appreciate the check. So we'll just put that out there now. <laughs> Checks with no strings. That's that's what we like. But um, your question reminded me of a, of a situation I had a couple weeks ago where I was getting together with a friend. And granted, it had been a long uh, work week. And she was coming from a very kind and loving place. And she said, you really look stressed out. Is everything okay? And at first, internally, I broke bristled and thought, I'm fine. Really, I am fine. But then afterwards I thought I, I, you know, it, it was just kind of a busier week than normal. And, um, so again, thinking back her intent at first, I did not want to receive her kindness, but really it was wrapped in concern. So I think not also having the immediate reaction and to Barb's point, because we're impatient or the ability to hit send or post that is, is I believe changing how we're, we are hardwired and how our brain reacts. So training it to slow and much like we're doing today, sitting down and having a nice conversation face to face with no distractions. Any acts of kindness received or given that stick out in your mind, maybe in your heart? They're just all sort of one line things that people say to each other. It's hard to Mm -hmm. pick just one, but you know, I hear people say things like, Oh, that was such a wonderful story you told today. It really mm-hmm. touched my heart. And um, a woman said that to me the other day, and it was like, wow, I didn't, you know how you do things, and you think, mm-hmm. did that, was that good? Did I give a bet? You know, could they care less about this story? And this woman came, bothered to come and find me and tell me that it had touched her heart. And that was a huge act of kindness to me and a big risk on her part mm-hmm. that I might go, or whatever. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't, but. <laughs> right. I know we hear from library patrons a lot and they kind of get filtered through our organization um, about people whose lives are so touched by the library and the services that we offer. Um, one woman shared a story with us. It's been a couple years now, but it's one of my favorite library stories on the vein of telling stories. Um, a young mother was talking to one of our library staff members and said, I love bringing my daughter to the library every week because it's the one place we can go and I don't have to tell her no, or I don't have to tell her, honey, you're going to have to put those back. So hearing stories like that, it's an appreciation in the form of kindness and, and stories like that help to motivate me. Um, to, to work really hard for the library. And as optimistic and corny as it sounds, just to be a good person, I think we cannot put uh, too high a price on that, on the need just to be nice to one another. In traffic, um, at the grocery store, at the post office, everywhere, there's an opportunity every day, multiple opportunities every day. With me in dialogue today have been Barbara Whites and Wendy Townley. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you, Stuart. That's the end of this week's show. The sound engineer was Dalimar McTizzik. 
Behind-the-scenes management was provided by the magnificent Marion Fay. Lives is a production of Squish Talks. Join me next week for more conversation, community, and the people that bring community to life. I'm Stuart Chittenden. <laughs>